But yeah, just want to acknowledge uh, we have a lot of new people at Grace Church. And so that is something that we do uh, feel encouraged by when you're able to come and start to get connected. We still yearn for you to be connected here relationally. Um, and I know that can be hard to do uh, at a new church. And so uh, thank you uh, to all those also who served. Um, there was a big team setting up, breaking down. Um, thank you to those who, there was a few of you, because I got stopped by a neighbor this morning who lives across the street on Libby, walking her dog, came, saw me in front of church, came and wanted to say how much she appreciated multiple people, not just one, multiple people who were parking in front of their house, asked her, is it okay how they're parked in front of their house? And thanking her that they let her people park in front of their house in Grace Church. And we didn't coach you into that. That's just awesome. That, that's an awesome thing to hear. Uh, they invited them to come have some Chick-fil-A at the picnic. And we also invited all our neighbors. And uh, she just wanted to seek me out and uh, say how much she was encouraged by that. She's just like, you just have such a great group there at the church. And so we are, uh, that just made my heart glad to hear that. Uh, thank you to Aaron Reynolds who catered Chick-fil-A for 400 people yesterday. Uh, and yeah, that's a fact. Yeah. And uh, we ate it all. Uh, there, was, there was nothing left. We actually had another neighbor come around 6 o'clock. They got like the last five sandwiches for, uh, from Chick-fil-A on the table. Um, and then uh, last but certainly not least, uh, an special thank you to Sherry Benlinger. Uh, she needs a clap. She needs a big clap. Standing ovation only. Um, but Sherry ran point on the picnic as she's done now for a few years as it's grown. Uh, just an incredible job. Um, I hope you know how grateful we are for you, Sherry. Uh, the way you steward your gift as a member of this church, just pouring yourself as a member in that way and organizing it all, that's a major job. Uh, so your gift is a gift uh, to us here at Grace. Um, and, and then secondly, part of uh, stewarding Grace is also um, what we have been doing is growing the staff to meet the needs of the congregation here and to carry out the vision of spiritual formation here. And as the church has grown, we have needed to steadily over the years grow our staff. And uh, we're excited to give an update and another expansion to our staff. And we're expanding our family ministry team with the addition of a children's ministry coordinator, uh, specifically for our kids' worship ministry, which that stampede of kids that just went downstairs, uh, that kindergarten through fifth grade, um, we're hiring a, a coordinator to really kind of help oversee that. Um, recall that beginning of this month, Megan Palanin, who's been our children's ministry director since 2018, has expanded her role to become the director of family ministry. So now all birth through high school falls under Megan's leadership. We have Joy Martinez, who works with our birth, uh, our nursery ministry, birth through preschool. We have Francis Park, who works with our youth ministry, 6th grade through 12th grade under Megan. And now we're, uh, we have been, and we announced that we're searching for someone to now work within our kids' worship ministry under Megan's leadership. And so we're excited to announce that we are hiring Kara Robles to join the staff at Grace. Some of you know Kara. My guess is maybe most of you don't. So we have a picture for you of Kara and her family uh, that we'll have up there. Um, Kara and Megan have actually experienced going back years working with each other in kids ministry within CBS, a community Bible study. Uh, Kara was also involved with MOPS for several years before moving to Florida, I think in 2019. Um, and then she and Luis and their family returned in April of this year. Uh, they began attending Grace, jumped right in. And so when this job opening came and you know, she applied and we just are thrilled to bring her on, uh, she starts tomorrow and she's, uh, <laughs> pray for her, uh, and uh, joining a great family ministry team that, will, uh, that she will strengthen even more. And so if you know her or see her, uh, be sure to uh, just encourage her in that. And um, you know, it's a good time to remind you that the vision for our staff, whether we're a few or if there's going to be many of us, uh, is not just to do ministry. 
but to equip the local church for the work of the ministry. That that is their premier desire and passion is to equip the church for the work of the ministry. Because the magnitude and purpose of the local church cannot be overstated. Right? Words would fail me to try to articulate how important the local church is. Uh, the local church has been and still is central to God's plan for spiritual formation of his people. And God's plan for making disciples of all nations. And so if you kind of read the New Testament, if you're into church history, the last 2,000 years of seeing this church go, like you might ask, like, how is it that the church has been able to persevere and flourish? Not only beginning in the New Testament, but of course those 2,000 years, especially in times and places where opposition was so strong. Like, how does this thing just keep going, the local church? And we see the conviction that there's a pathway in Scripture that seems pretty clear. That, that it's not easy, but it's also not complicated. The church committed to gather, to grow, to give, and to go. And so if you're a disciple who's wanting to glorify God with your life, like you want to get to the end, whenever God says it's the end, and say, I want to make my life count. I don't want to waste it. This is a pathway that we are stewarding together at Grace Church. That by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we gather, we grow, and we give, and we go. And so this morning, we're going to look more at growth. And when we say growth, we're not primarily thinking numeric growth. We're thinking spiritual growth. Uh, numeric growth is not up to us, right? We want to be found faithful and let and trust the growth to God. But spiritual growth, to an extent, is a choice you have. Did you know that? At Grace Church, you can grow if you want to. And we're going to go into Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 12 through 17. There is so much in this passage. I think like we're just going to scratch the surface here, but let's read the whole passage and then we'll unpack it. Verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. The desire to grow is not an exclusive, exclusive Christian desire. It is a universally human one. All people made in the image of God have this imprinted upon their nature, a desire for growth in your life. Everybody wants to elevate. Everybody wants to change, to get better, right? To get to the next level. It is a good desire that's imprinted in you and all people. You want to grow as a spouse. You want to grow as a mother or a father. You want to grow as a friend. You want to grow in wisdom and financial decisions that you need to make. You want to grow in your contribution to various communities that you are a part of. You want to grow in your vocation at work. right? Sharpening the skills you already have to get to the next level. Um, athletes at every level want to grow in their strength and they want to grow in their skill set to flourish at every level of the sport. 
I was reading about Coco Goff, who's a women's tennis player who just won her first Grand Slam title, right? First teenager since Serena did it in 1999. She just won the US Open. So I was reading some things about her that this past year, Coco introduced boxing into her training routine. Because she saw that there's an advantage of boxing that could give her uh, and grow her game in playing tennis. And so she took up boxing. And it apparently worked out. <laughs> there's a desire to grow in all of us. But having a motivation to grow is contingent on other things. All right, so hang with me here. In 1943, there was an American psychologist named Abraham Maslow. He wrote a paper called A Theory of Human Motivation. And within it, he listed out what he called a hierarchy of needs that need to be met for someone to have the motivation to grow. I want to put a slide up on the screen. This is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Real quick, at the bottom part of that pyramid, the base foundation is physiological needs. Air, water, food, shelter, sleep. Then the next rung up are safety needs. Uh, personal security, employment, uh, provision, health, property. And then right in the middle, relational needs. Love, belonging, friendship, connection. And then the top two, beginning with esteem needs, confidence, respect, freedom, strength. And at the very top, what he called self-actualization needs. And this is the desire for growth, right? Growth in ourselves, maximizing your potential, peak fulfillment in life. And the point is that someone will not have the motivation to grow at the top of the pyramid unless they have the other needs met first. The bottom three layers are needed for survival. The top two layers for growth and contribution. Um, so, so simply put, you're not thinking about personal growth in your life if you're just trying to secure food for your family for the next day. Like you're not thinking about self-actualization if you're just trying to keep your family alive day to day. And you will not be motivated to grow to maximize your potential unless you have those basic needs of identity met and security and connection met. And that's true for all people, everywhere. That we're all looking to meet these needs so that we can maximize the way that we've been designed to live. And I think this is even more pronounced in 2023 than it was when Maslow wrote it in 1943. Because today, in our day today, everything's about identity. About the freedom and the power and the basic right you have to identify yourself. To define yourself. And so now, what makes Christians unique is that the gospel of Jesus Christ gives you the only identity that is received, not achieved. If you have to define yourself and get everybody else to accept that, and define you that way, that's a ton of pressure. A ton of pressure day to day. But verse 12 of Colossians 3 cuts right into that by saying, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Uh, there are three massive truths for the people of God in those few short, short words. Chosen, holy, and loved. That the core message of the gospel says you don't need to achieve God's love. You don't need to achieve his selection of you. It is received by God's grace. And it's the most unique thing about the worldview of Christianity. And this is why following Jesus is so incompatible with following the ways of the world. The two cannot go together. You can't have it both ways. Uh, the, the world says you succeed by defining yourself and getting everyone to follow you. The gospel says you succeed by denying yourself and showing everyone that you follow Jesus. 
And so in Christ, your hierarchy of needs are all met by him. That's the point. That in Christ, those hierarchy of needs are met by him. Your physiological needs, your safety, your security, your relational needs, your esteem needs. So now, you don't just have a desire to grow like all people do, but you can have the motivation and the fuel to grow when you're anchored in the gospel. As, as, as a steward of the grace that you have received. And so if your Bibles are still open, we're not going to read all of Colossians 3. I just want to show a couple hot spots in Colossians 3 where he's kind of tracing this all the way through. Um, verse 1, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Do you see that order? You've been raised with Christ. That's true of you by God's grace. Therefore, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Bring your eyes down to verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Keep going down to verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Do you see it? That when you receive Christ by faith, he's not just a kind of a part of your life, not even like maybe a really important part of your life. He is your life. And we tend to use that kind of language when we're talking about other people or maybe ourselves. Like you've heard so-and-so like, man, sports is their life. Work is her life. His family is his everything. And we know sports are not bad. Work, not bad. Family, certainly not bad. But if it truly is everything, its inability to deliver will get exposed. And it's so much pressure on yourself to define yourself by anything in this world. Uh, William Barclay, he wrote a commentary uh, in the 1950s on the book of Colossians, and this quote will be on the screen. He says, in the light of the cross... Think about that phrase. In the light of the cross, the world's wealth and the world's ambitions and the world's activities are seen in their true value. In the light of that cross, he sees that love is the only kingliness and service the only royalty. And therefore, he's delivered from the earthly things and is enabled to set his whole heart and affections on the things which are above. For the Christian, right? The christ Ian. Christ is your life, and all of your deepest needs are met in him. And so when we talk about stewarding grace for the purpose of growth, it begins with a firm grasp on the gospel. Not what you do, but receiving what Christ has done. And so the first question for all of us in this passage is, have you received Christ? Is this true for you? That in the deepest part of your affections that you say, Christ is my life. And when it is, when you you can see that, when you can grasp that, then, then you grasp that God's love for you is not contingent on whether or not you grow. His love for you is not contingent on the fact of whether or not you grow. He is in you. And he is with you through all those struggles to grow. And we will struggle. It's called union with Christ, Christ in you. And it gives you such assurance. And it reminds us, it reminds you that he is in believers who struggle with greed and making mighty an idol Monday through Friday. He's in those who battle same-sex attraction and pornography addiction. 
He's in those who struggle with their body issues and gender dysphoria. He's in parents who feel lost and angry in their parenting. And children who feel unloved. He's in you. And I heard a pastor once, it was so helpful for me, that God doesn't love some future better version of yourself. He loves you now. All of you. For he is in you. And if that anchor is in place, if that anchor is under you, then you can steward the grace given to you with a commitment to grow. And we're going to move quickly here, but what are three ways we can grow in this passage? Number one, prioritize your growth. Prioritize your spiritual growth. Um, There is agency for the believer who is in Christ to choose and grow and prioritize spiritual growth in their lives. Uh, So this past summer when Pastor Ben, who's been brought in in the spring to oversee the ministry of spiritual formation at Grace, right, spiritual growth at Grace Church, it's a big job, it's a big responsibility. Um, His initial announcement, we talked about the fall ministry plan that we're rolling out at Grace that's, you know, taking place as we speak. He said in that first announcement simply, Grace Church, you can grow if you want to. And it stuck with me. That, that, that we are all going to prioritize something in your life. When you go to sleep tonight, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning by God's grace, and you're going to prioritize something. Something is the kind of anchor of your soul that you want to prioritize in that life. And your time and your energy and your best efforts will be poured into something, all of you. The question is, what is it? And the bigger question is, why? Uh, there's a man named Richard Chin. Richard Chin is the pastor and director of the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students. And he spends a lot of time on college campuses in Australia. And he was writing about how one time uh, he came to the new semester upon a, a campus in Queensland. And all over campus there was the sign that said, find your why. Find your why. Discover your purpose, it means, right? Um, define your life. If you find your why, then it will motivate everything that you do. That's a popular sentiment, not only in Australia, but very much here as well. So Chin wrote uh, this to the believers on that campus, and we'll have it up on the screen. He said, you don't have to find your why. God has given us our why. It revolves entirely around Christ. He is the center of our solar system and the orienting center of everything we do. Our priorities, our family life, our church life, our leisure life, our sex life, our speech life, everything in life revolves around the resurrected Christ. Is Christ the center of your solar system this morning? Uh, I think this, among other things, is evidence of a healthy church where its members are stewarding grace, not a perfect church where people never struggle to keep Christ at the center, but a church where people are willing to acknowledge reality in their life. Maybe as you sit there this morning, you know Christ has not been the center. Maybe it's just recent he's gotten pushed to the side. Maybe he's been pushed to the side for a long time. But the truth of the gospel doesn't heap shame on you for that. It sets you free from the shame and empowers you to repent, freely repent. Uh, When when Jill paused for you to confess sin in the congregational prayer this morning, what a gift. 
My goodness, what a gift it is to, in the gathering of God's people, have the freedom to repent, knowing you have a Savior who is faithful and just to forgive. Now you can repent and start again. And whatever your top priority is in your life, you will have a daily commitment attached to it. And you, won't, you don't do it out of obligation, but you do it out of your own desire. Whatever your top priority is, daily commitments to it doesn't feel like a burden. Which is why Paul often uses the language of putting on clothes. That's how the passage started. Put on then. Spiritual growth is putting on the virtues of Christ and putting off the vices of the world. If you want to define spiritual growth in this passage, that's what it would be. Putting on the virtues of Christ and putting off the vices of the world. That spiritual growth includes both overcoming sin that remains in us and pursuing the virtues of righteousness, including the ones that Paul lists. Look again at your Bible. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And it begins with knowing when you're in Christ, you can do this. You can grow in this if you want to. Um, there's an English Puritan named John Owen who might be best known for his little book called On the Mortification of Sin. Uh, not selling many books by the title alone, but the, the book is called On the Mortification of Sin. The most popular line in the book is this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. But my favorite quote from the book is how we can kill sin. It'll be up on the screen. Owen writes, Our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort, but our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. That language might be a little outdated, but the point is this, that the more we focus on Christ the more we understand who we are in Christ. It's why I'm going to keep hammering this point this morning. This will enable us and empower us to grow, to turn away from the ungodly behaviors of our past, and to start clothing ourselves that are fitting for believers in the kingdom of God. For those of you who have been battling sin in your life, you know it's not a lack of effort. You know you've tried. Years, decades. Your problem is not a lack of effort but perhaps you have not been acquainted with your privileges of being in Christ. So let me make this as practical as I can. Let's take one virtue from this list. Let's talk about patience. Anyone ever struggle with patience in their life? Does anybody want to grow in patience? Parents being patient with young children. How about children being patient with older parents? You want to be patient at work? And with your coworkers, with your friends, your teammates, your coaches, that you know that there's just there's something just just nagging you. You're increasingly impatient, and you know it's a struggle for you. Here's what prioritizing growth means: it means committing to a time of self-reflection and asking yourself the hard questions. Why is this the case? Why am I struggling with patience in this way? Are you living life in such a hurry all the time in hopes of things, um, uh, seeing things move faster in your life? That if you think if you move faster, then life will come at you faster. And so you're always in a hurry. Is there perhaps a too high view of yourself that everyone else should be prioritizing you and they're not? Are people in your life more of a burden to overcome 
than image bearers to be loved. And it makes you impatient. Have you simply overcommitted to too many things? Out of a fear of disappointing people, you want to be the one who says yes. And so you always say yes. And now you're overcommitted and there's no margin in your life. So after that self-reflection, then we can leverage the power of prayer in growing spiritually. To, to pray and ask God that he would uh, first reveal the source of those issues. Lord, show me where and why I'm being so impatient, why I'm feeling so on edge all the time. Pray for courage to repent where needed. And then for wisdom and making daily decisions that will not breed further impatience. Prioritizing growth means focusing on Christ and what he has done for you. The patience that Christ shows us in our lives. And then seek to put it into practice. Putting on clothes day after day. Little by little. Knowing that growth is always an ongoing process. Doing it in community. Getting around wise believers. Asking them to speak into your life. Uh, there's a woman, Karen Swallow Pryor, one of probably my favorite authors. Uh, she wrote in her book on reading well about how um, the book is about how great books can increase virtue, Christian virtue in your life. Um, and she's a chapter on patience. And she starts it this way. She says, whenever I'm asked to give advice about life to young people, I give the same answer. Be patient. What I mainly mean when I say this is slow down. Don't be in a hurry. Life is long. Work hard, and the rewards will come. The dreams you have, some of them, will come true. And those that don't will be replaced by others, maybe even better ones. Prioritize your growth. Let's keep going. Number two, contribute to others' growth. This is what this passage shows us. Contribute to others' growth. Being in a church that is stewarding grace means that your personal growth is not the only growth you're concerned about. Right? The local church, in its essence, displays the fact that each of our spiritual growth is caught up with one another's. Your growth is caught up with other people's growth. In fact, that whole list of virtues and graces in verse 12 are interpersonal virtues, meaning they are put into practice in the context of community. It can only be done, you see, around others. And so I have an honest question for us. Um, when you think about strengthening your faith, all right, you're, you're a believer, you're a Christian, you want to strengthen your faith, and you're thinking about what's it look like to strengthen my faith, to mature, and then to influence others in strengthening their faith. I want to ask, is this the list that comes to mind? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, Forgiving each other. We need to recognize that we are in a day and we are in a world where there is a constant power struggle happening amongst factions of people. And we're all swimming in this water. And we're on technology all day that has done a great job making us angry and making us panic if our group doesn't grow in power and influence. And so we are being manipulated by fear, in the currency of fear, that promotes and leads to behavior, even amongst Christians, that are the direct opposite of this list in the spirit of fighting for Christ. And it's a major issue in the church. 
And we are slowly walking to another election year. And here we go again. It's a major issue in the church and that Christians face to get so riled up that we then can justify non-Christ-like behavior in our character and in others for the sake of gaining power in the culture. So I ask you, brothers and sisters at Grace Church, again, look at this list in your Bible. Do you believe this is true strength? These areas we can be growing in. What an opportunity, especially in the year that's coming, where the local church can be a counterculture that pushes against the world's currency of fear and chaos. But you can't do it by yourself. You can't do it without others, and they can't do it without you. This is what it means to steward grace, to live a different way, to live the Jesus way, to not be so easily drawn into the fear of the world to the point where you act like the world. So if we believe this and we desire this, we, we still need to know how's it going to happen. So but heads down in the Bible, all comes down to what Paul says in verse 14. How does it happen? Above all these things, put on love. Put on love. For when you love others enough, when you love other people enough, you will have a vested interest in seeing them grow spiritually and influencing them to grow along the lines of this passage. And in verse 15, we see the result of growth, the fruit of growth in our lives. When the peace of Christ rules in our hearts. I love that phrase. If you're a writer in your Bible, it's okay. You won't get hurt, all right? Circle that phrase. To see Christ rule in your hearts, that's the evidence of growth. And the only way we will grow and move towards compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, is if we're so anchored in the gospel that we're not so easily whipped around by the factions and dissensions that are going to be swirling around us, but be rooted in the peace of Christ the world is rooted in turmoil, but the church is ruled by peace that comes from Christ. So stewarding grace is prioritizing your growth. It's contributing to others' growth. And then finally, number three, understanding the source of growth. We're going to finish by looking again at verses 16 and 17, which vitally provides the means through which growth can happen in our lives and in the life of the local church. Let me read those verses again, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Growth happens when the word of God dwells richly in the church of God. Growth happens when the word of God dwells richly within the local church. It's the unchanging mission of God to make disciples of all nations through the local church, and it's contingent on the unchanging word of God being centrally located in the ministry of the local church. Uh, the, the Bible, as you know, doesn't tell us everything. We talked about that in Proverbs this summer, right? It gives us a framework of wisdom. It won't tell you every answer to every question you have in your life. But it does provide uh, that framework of awakening faith and strengthening faith. Um, 
I think it's going to be up on the screen. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, if not, you can just listen. Second Timothy chapter 3, many of you know this passage. Paul writes to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, look, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, plural you, the church, richly. 2023, especially North Jersey, there's a crisis of truth. There's an increased skepticism of authority. It's pervasive. It's rising with every generation. And in a relativistic age that you're living in, that your children are being raised in, they're being taught that truth is seen as something inside of us that is decided by us. You have your truth, and they can have their truth. Whereas in the church, we operate from a lens of seeing truth as something outside of us that we submit to. So for, for Grace Church, I'm not standing up here week after week telling people how I think you ought to live and sizing up my authority over yours and telling you that my truth is better than your truth. I'm standing up here and I'm opening the word of God and, and saying that this truth that is outside of us is going to so shape us where we will be fully submissive to the authority of this word at this church. And so our ministry all across it, every age, every program, is shaped by the Bible. Not best practices, not growth strategies, not what's going to be relevant to the world in 2023. We live by a revealed truth. And we do so with humility and confidence. And for you personally, that you have the ability to grow in grasping and studying Scripture in your life in a way that in the long term will benefit every area of your life. Uh, Charles Simeon, who's a pastor in Cambridge in the early 1800s, he wrote this. He said, if we made a practice of selecting some daily, if we had made a practice of select, selecting daily some shorter, okay, let me start that again, all right? Rewind the tape. Charles Simeon, early 1800s. If we made a practice of selecting daily some short portion of scripture for our meditation throughout the day, the most ignorant among us would soon attain a knowledge that at present appears far beyond our reach. A more modern, simpler quote is from Jen Wilkin in her 2014 book on the importance of the word. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And so we want to know our Bible. And every aspect of our ministry will be rooted in the knowledge and the teaching of the Bible. And we know we stand on the shoulders of 2,000 years of church history that has been gathering, growing, giving, and going. And we're just next in line. And we know the methods of which how that's going to happen is always going to change based on context and time. And so we are thinking about what's it look like to grow disciples in New Jersey in 2023? What's a pathway that we can expect you to actually to follow that's attainable for you, that's going to equip you? And so when we think about our Sunday gatherings and we think about our classes and our groups and our women's ministry and our men's ministry, our desire in all of it is to equip you to understand the word in community, in personal devotion, with an intention to grow you. That you can say, at Grace Church, I'm growing here. I'm looking more like Jesus here by his grace in the community of this church. And it's all biblically rooted and it's all relationally connected. Grace Church, 
You can grow if you want to. Let's pray. Father, I pray fervently this morning in gratitude with your word that we would be anchored in the identity that we receive in Christ. That we would be anchored in the gospel and the assurance that you give us. And that that would fuel growth in our lives. And that we would leverage the means of growth you provide us in the local church. That will bring glory to your name. And that will make a significant impact in this corner of the world, Lord. Help us to not waste our lives. But to prioritize our lives. To be humble in ourselves. And confident in you. And to be willing to be used by you. To do whatever it is you want to do to grow this church and make an impact in this part of the world. Lord, let it be for your glory. And we thank you for the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for dealing with all the tech difficulties this morning. Let's now stand together and sing together in response.